following is a production of the Event Safety Alliance. Welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And I'm Eric Stewart. And today we are talking about ANSI ES 1.9-2020, the Crowd Management Standard, approved by the ANSI Board of Standards Review on 6 July 2020. Yay! This Steve, tell crowd, us all about it. Crowd roaring would be piped in, you know, if, if we could do that. You know, there should be like a stadium full of people, you know, waving banners and scarves because this has been quite a process. And it, it is a happy reminder of when the world worked and made sense and, you know, maybe even a hopeful note that it, it will again one day. So what we're going to talk about today, as Danielle correctly teased, is a brand new ANSI standard regarding crowd management. Um, and we have Eric Stewart here from Gentian Events in the UK, um, because Eric was one of the key contributors to this standard, which was quite a laborious piece of work. So what we're going to do is briefly, I'm going to tee up you know, what an ANSI standard is. So we'll get the proper nouns out of the way. And then with just a little more detail, I'll explain the process by which something becomes an ANSI standard, because that's what we're talking about here. And then finally, we'll get to the substance of it, which is what is a crowd management ANSI standard? Why do you care? How do you use it? Um, we'll leave aside for another day, when might you use it? I think Danielle may have some insight into that from her local experience in South Carolina. But the point is, eventually, God willing, we will get back to a time and a place where we can use this fabulous, shiny new standard, which is quite brilliant, and we're, I think, justifiably proud of it. So since it's new, we're going to talk about it, because otherwise we'll just continue to lie in the fetal position, lamenting the world as it actually exists. So this is a time to think about the world as it will be again. All right, so with our preface in mind, um, very briefly, we're talking about an ANSI standard, ANSI, A-N-S-I. That is an American National Standards Institute standard. And ANSI is one of those vetting processes that actually makes a standard authoritative. So there are lots of different levels of guidance. Um, there are, let's sort of go through the pyramid. There are laws, those are required. There are regulations. Those are passed by legislators to explain how a law should work. Regulations are pretty much required, but the law is actually the thing that you must do. A law sets a minimum standard. What we're talking about here is guidance about not what is the bare minimum, because that's simply what you must do in order to be legal, Rather, now, with an ANSI standard, American National Standards Institute, with an ANSI standard, we're talking about how do you behave, oh, you're going to love this because it's coming from me, how do you behave reasonably under the circumstances, and Danielle's mouthing it with me, which is just so gratifying, <laughs> you should all be doing this too, you should be picturing me staring longingly at a blue man, because you know how that story goes, everyone has a legal duty to behave reasonably under their circumstances. How do you know what's reasonable? Well, 
A law is not going to tell you. Legislators don't know our industry. The best source of authority for what's reasonable under your circumstances in the particular circumstances of our live event industry is an ANSI standard. Yay, we actually have one for how to manage crowds now because there never was one before. You know, I, I say this with some pride because now I'm looking at Eric Stewart and Eric, will you confirm for our podcast listeners that even in the UK where crowd management theory started and is in many respects leagues ahead of the US, even in the UK, there's no equivalent to this new brilliant, shiny crowd management ANSI standard? Steve, I can't believe that you would humiliate me so publicly by making me admit <laughs> that whilst we have British standards on barriers and fencing and signage, we don't have a British standard on crowd management. We have a British standard on stewarding, security. We don't have a British standard on crowd management. You're just yet, circling I mean, around it. You're just circling yeah. around. And, and you know, we've, we've had this conversation before, Steve. One of the reasons I really wanted to get involved in this was, if nothing else, I hope that this might even embarrass the UK into saying, if the Americans can have a standard on crowd management, for goodness sake, we need to get our fingers out and get one done really quickly. I hope that will be part of the, the outcome of this. Well, you know, if, if we Americans can shame you Brits, who are, in, again, in all other respects, so far ahead of us, in the theory and science of managing people in spaces, um, you know, glad to help. <laughs> <laughs> we hope it works. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll, whichever way it happens, I'll take it. So, so there, I, I have successfully fished for a compliment. Um, that was one of my purposes for this podcast. My, my ego is quite fragile these days, so I'll, I'll take it wherever I can get it. Um, anyway, that, that's what an ANSI standard is and why it's important, because it really is the most authoritative guidance available about what is reasonable under the circumstances of putting on live events when those live events have, have people in attendance. Uh, so again, recognizing that moment is not right now for most of you in most places, but it will be again. And so now is the time to you know, kind of bone up on this new guidance because it does exist. And our listeners, uh, think back a couple episodes ago, we did an episode on standards with ESTA. So if you need a refresh on anything we are talking about today that doesn't make sense, go ahead and give that one a second listen because we probably covered it there. And, and that's an excellent point. So we, we don't have to reinvent this wheel. I, I will very briefly tell you about the laborious process that created this particular standard, just to give you a sense of, oh my God, I'm so glad that I wasn't involved in this because I don't have that kind of time. But it should also make you appreciate this vetting process really is robust for the reason that you can rely on the guidance as being authoritative. All right. So, Steve, once upon a time... In a conference room in Texas, what happened? Once upon a time in a conference room in Texas back in 2016, when, you know, we were able to do things without thinking as self-consciously as we do now, there was some conversation about 
how there wasn't any crowd management guidance and there, well, there wasn't authoritative crowd management guidance. There long has been very smart guidance. Certainly, we did not start from scratch. We stand on the shoulders of giants already. So to give proper credit where it's due, and to mention a couple of proper nouns who are specifically referenced in the crowd management ANSI standard. In the U.S., there's a, a man named John Fruin. Um, John Fruin was a New York City traffic engineer who was studying traffic patterns, car traffic, um, and realized that the vehicle traffic patterns that he observed would apply no less to pedestrian movement. And so, at least in the States, John Fruin is kind of the father of modern crowd management theory back in the late 70s and um, then popularized in the early 80s. Um, and then in the United Kingdom, um, Keith Still, who has a number of um, letters after his name, but Professor Keith Still created a series of crowd management models based on events that he observed, um, particularly including the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage which yielded year after year tragic crowd-related incidents. Um, and Keith Still was in the command center watching these on video, which helped inform his extremely useful crowd model, which is known as DIMICE, D-I-M-I-C-E, uh, which stands for Design, Implementation, and Management of the three phases of an event, which are in ingress, circulation, and egress. So Professor Still came up with his dim ice model, and that, as I understand it, has been the prevailing model for how one should look at the management of crowds in spaces for close to the last 20 years. And what we started with back in a conference room in Texas in summer of 2016 was, is, is there any updating that should be done, particularly as the world is getting more dangerous? And what we were observing at that point was really active shooter situations. That was the shiny object that was causing us to think about this because we were looking at how crowds behave during active shooter incidents and they weren't behaving in ways that we necessarily expected. And so it, it caused us to look back at other crowd incidents, other catastrophes that caused crowds to move in unexpected ways and times. And we realized that there was a further element that Professor Still had mentioned, but was not part of his dim ice formulation that we thought was so important given what we were observing in the mid-2010s, that it really called for a more comprehensive treatment. That turned into what we have called DIME ICE, which is design, implementation, management, and expectations of the crowd during ingress, circulation, and egress. And so that's the big change for the American ANSI standard from the crowd management guidance that had existed up until then, which is we added a fourth factor to be considered by both event organizers and the crowd itself, because we observed that, well, 
what people expected when they went to an event. So from the crowd standpoint, what they expected during an event would very dramatically color what they did if they perceived that the thing they expected was happening. Specifically, if they thought that they were getting, getting shot at, then they would respond even though the things that they were responding to often weren't active shooter incidents at all. But the heightened sensitivity was changing what people would do, when they would do it, and the crowd modeling simply did not accommodate that in, in a way that we thought it needed to. So as we created this new crowd management standard, we built in a fourth element to reflect what we were observing every day, which is the expectations of the crowd were causing them to respond differently than they had before. And because certain behaviors could be expected by crowd managers and event operators, they needed to build further guardrails in to protect crowds as they moved due to phenomena that hadn't existed before. So that's really what caused us to think that we needed to do something back in summer of 2016. And you know, thanks to smart friends like Eric Stewart, who contributed very early on in the process, we kind of got our arms around what needs to be in American guidance that doesn't currently exist. Because, you know, as with everything that we do at the Event Safety Alliance, none of us individually is smart enough to come up with the answers. We like surrounding ourselves with our smart friends. And, you know, in this case, Eric Stewart was one of our dearest and most important smart friends on this very large project. So, Eric, Describe what was, how did you contribute to this? Wow. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm listening and it's, I'm kind of rerunning my very first involvement in the crowds back through my mind. Um, and I go back to, way back to the 2000s and the 1980s, 1990s as a police officer when I thought I knew about crowd management and actually I didn't. And we've had this conversation many times. What I was doing was crowd control and I'm delighted that the standard attempts in any way it can to separate and differentiate between those two things. For our audience, can you distinguish the difference? Yeah, and, and it's put really well in the standard. Crowd control is the second bit when the first bit didn't work. If you've got your crowd management plans right and you are implementing them with the proper signage and the proper information and the proper staff and stewarding and supervision, Crowd management works normally. But on the day you haven't bothered doing any of that, or on the, the day when your plans didn't work, and that happens to the best of us sometimes, you then have to step up to crowd control. And sometimes you will automatically start at crowd control. If the police are having to deal with a difficult crowd of protesters who simply will never comply with instructions, and that's obvious from the start, and you've tried everything that you can, but everything that you've tried or everything that you're likely to try is going to fail, then you go into crowd control. And that, to me, I, I try and define it on the courses that we do as crowd management should almost be imperceptible by the crowd. We are influencing their behaviours. We're not being sneaky, naughty or dirty. We are influencing behaviours by giving them good information on which they can make good decisions, obvious logical decisions. When that is failing, you have to use force or the threat of force. That's what our police, your police, military have to do sometimes, and that is crowd control. And I think that's really well 
described in much simpler terms than I've given it probably actually in the guidance. So I reached 2005 when I think I'm knowing about crowd management and I have this horrible incident where a lot of people get hurt on the embankment in New Year's Eve and the fireworks. And I learn from the next day that what I've been doing is crowd control and, and crowd, not crowd management. And that's when we went and you know Keith still was my mentor and still is in some regards to this. The dim ice model, design information management during ingress circulation and egress. If crowd management was a religion, dim ice would be the first piece of scripture you read. And it would be hammered home to you that dim ice or some other model, not a computer, nothing generated by computer, a model that you apply to crowds to help them behave sensibly and safely is the first thing you need to learn. And dim ice has worked for years. People have adapted, people have amended, people have changed parts of it to suit their own circumstances. And the die mice model for the American market and that experiential part, I think is a really good addition. And I just hope if Keith does listen to this, he won't be too offended by me saying that there is no problem with people adapting models to their own particular needs and their own particular market. My involvement in getting this involved in this was, you know, I've, I've been working with the Event Safety Alliance uh, Daniel, you might have to help me now. Five years, I think. I think this is the fifth year. So. I think so, yeah. And we've, we've been coming over there four or five years to the event safety summits and presenting courses and presenting over there. But as soon as I got wind of this, I wanted to be involved in it. To, to have a standard for people to aim at, even if they fall short and fail and don't quite get there, if they're aiming for that standard and implementing just 50, 60, 70% of it, we're making our crowds so much safer if we can do that. And the selfish motivation is genuine. If the US can implement a standard on crowd safety management, it's going to put me in a much stronger position to argument that the UK really has got to do the same. So most of my work has been distant, reading, suggesting, proposing, coming onto web conferences we were doing these well before the rest of the world were forced into zoom conferences we've, we've been doing these for five years <laughs> these standards it's difficult to keep flying over to the states but you know we did that for years and years and just chipping in where i could to say i like that i like that but can we rephrase that because i don't think that quite works that's been my contribution and i think i've been in almost from the start well, we, we love the fact that, that you've made the journey to the U.S. so many times because your wisdom is something that we really, really appreciate. Um, Thank you. One of the things I love about crowd management is it makes the, it's not antagonistic to the crowd, which once you get to crowd control, it's not necessarily us against them, but there, there's conflict in it. And crowd management is like, we want everyone to have a good time and get out safely. And these are the things we're doing to help make sure that happens because nobody really goes to a concert or a football game. All right. I shouldn't say nobody. Most people don't go to these events to initiate conflict and crowd management gives us some really great tools to put the focus back where it belongs on the event itself, as opposed to their focus on ingress movement and egress. Okay. Um, in the UK, when I joined the police in 1980, the concept was and still is that policing of the British citizen is with its consent. Policing with consent is a fundamental principle. And for me, that, that principle needs to transfer to crowd management. 
if you become conflictual with the crowd, if you're shouting and screaming in, in a forceful or aggressive manner, you have already gone beyond that consensual relationship. You've gone beyond crowd management and into crowd control at that point. So we need to work out methods, ways and means by which we can influence the crowd to make them do the right thing to keep themselves safe. And it is, sometimes it is quite, it's below the surface. It's, you know, you've heard me previously talk about all the the psychologies and the behaviours and the, the things that go on in our brains during particularly doing stress and crisis and how we can pre-influence the likely behaviours in those circumstances. That, to me, is good crowd management. It's the combination of math, physics, understanding human body pressures, the physiology, but the psychology and the human behaviours and matching those sciences together, accepting that when you multi-mix those sciences, it won't be precise and the same model won't work for two different crowds because they're different people and accepting that as well and accepting that your best plans that you've worked on for months may not look quite like you intended them to be on the night and you've then got to be smart enough to know which bit of your plan you weren't good enough at and how to adapt and overcome to keep the crowd safe before you ever get to that crowd control stage. I adore all the different components. There's math, there's psychology, there's biology, there's a little bit of excitement and elements of chaos just spun in at times. And, and also that the fact you have a plan and then you have an event and it, things don't always go to the plan, mostly don't go to the plan. And then afterwards you can review that and see what would have possibly made a difference so that next time you're more informed so that we can learn from history as opposed to not learning from history. So Steve, how did we take all these pieces and how did you craft it into the standard? We were in a room in Texas. Well, well, the, the process of creating a standard really is like Eric described where, you know, we, we would, we would have a conversation and that would drive some drafting and then we'd circulate the draft and, you know, our smart friends like Eric would say, I like this bit, I don't like that very much. And we would have a conversation that lasted three and a half years. And at the end of the conversation, we haven't actually ended the conversation. All we've done in this standard, this standard is quite different than many other standards because you know there's not a particular I don't know, distance that something should be hung in order to be safe. There's not objective requirements in this crowd management standard. It doesn't work that way. No, crowd management is an example of, you know, the old 19th century line, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And what that means, it's a great line. Um, What that means is, Planning is really important, but you should not become so wedded to your plan that you become a slave to it. Rather, your plan is your starting point from which you should be flexible enough to make reasonable decisions under the circumstances that are presented on any given event night. That's the whole point of you know, this crowd management exercise is we're trying to create flexible enough guidance to prompt people to think, you know, as we wrote in the the introduction, what could go wrong? 
You know, that's always the starting question. What could go wrong for an individual event on a particular night, a particular crowd? All the circumstances, you know, physical, emotional, all the things that Eric mentioned, they do come into play and they all matter. And so in this standard, what we've done is simply create a series of prompts and a framework in which to address the prompts in a manner that would be reasonable under circumstances that we, you know, sitting in our respective offices, we don't know exactly what circumstances will exist in any given event, but we know what questions will tend to lead to good answers. That's what we've done in this standard. We've asked the right questions, I think. And, you know, through Eric's process of saying, you know, here's a part that I like, here's a part that I don't care for so much, that's actually what we teased out. Not the answers, but rather questions. We teased out good questions, I think. Let's look at the standard itself. Um, the beginning of any standard has a scope. It says, basically, this standard's going to talk about the, remember your term paper from about ninth grade? We're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. That's what the scope is. And then we go through some definitions and then we start getting into the meat of the standard. So Steve, what's the first part of the meat for this one? Um, so after the intro and context and definitions, which does include a definition for both crowd management and crowd control, which is very similar to what um, Eric Stewart said about five minutes ago, section three is the dime ice crowd management model. And first, we pay deference to our heroes, John Fruin and Keith Still. And then we explain how this standard updates Professor Still's model by adding a fourth element. So we explain, you know, design, information, management, and expectations. And then we explain ingress, circulation, and egress. And then there's a chart for people who are more visually inclined. And then we add some further you know, ways to break that down even further called a ramp analysis, which is roots, areas, movement, and profile of the crowd. And that's section three, which is essentially framework. How do you think about these issues? And then section four is a giant grab bag of application of this new dime ice model. And this is really where the action is from a user's standpoint, because we have a whole bunch of different sections. Um, so the first one is the configuration and use of space. And after each subpart, we have a series of either questions or things for you to consider as you're creating your own event plan or as you're thinking about the issues with the crowd that you should be considering for that particular event. And so the model is the same throughout section four, which again is sort of the user section. We lay out some narratives so that you understand the context of a particular issue. And then we pose some questions or issues for your consideration. If we could have used the word must or shall or are required to, we would have. You will very rarely find those words in this standard because that's just not how crowd management works. But, you know, we're doing, as Eric suggested, we're trying to get you to think of the issues that matter for you 
for your particular event. The very end of the standard is a list of really awesome resources, uh, some of which are books that we've talked about in this podcast before. Uh, so that will be helpful. To find this particular standard, it will be posted at? It'll be posted on the ESTO website. It'll be posted prominently on the Event Safety Alliance website, eventsafetyalliance.org. Doubtless, I will post it on my own website, edelmanlawgroup.com, you know, on telephone poles and billboards and pretty much any place else where standards are found. It, it's free. You know, like many other things, the whole idea is to get knowledge out into the world so people can use it. So, and I'll certainly, I'll certainly be making sure it goes onto the United Kingdom Crowd Managers Association website, because let's face it, when this whole chaos ceases and we start to travel again, we've got plenty of boys and girls from the UK who come on tours in the US, and they need to know that this standard now exists. I'd like to think our members are already achieving to this standard, but to arrive and not know that we wrote this would be. Uh, Detrimental on my part. So we'll be posting it as much as we can as well. One further goal, and God knows I don't have the energy for this right now, but wouldn't it be nice if there is some notion that this guidance is useful and helpful? Crowds, certainly crowd behavior varies, you know, with lots and lots of different factors, including geography and culture. But the questions will substantially be similar across national boundaries. It would be nice to have some guidance that works or at least is acknowledged to be useful everywhere. So maybe that's the end game is, you know, to have some notion of what crowd management is and what crowd management considerations would look like to be at least broadly accepted everywhere. You know, this harkens back to you know, Jim Digby's line, you know, gravity is the same everywhere, and thus safety issues should be as well. And I think crowd management is an application of that, uh, which always struck me as wise and smart. Nice that we have yet another manifestation of gravity is the same everywhere. Yep. And and people, even if we are uh, different in our country, or we have different skin tones, or we speak different languages, uh, there are some very fundamental ways that we behave. There are also some cultural differences that if you're planning, you incorporate those in your crowd management plan to accommodate the specificities of your particular situation. So when we do start doing events on a regular basis again, we will be able to still use this guidance to manage a a crowd during a pandemic because we cover things like when the crowd arrives early. So if you're having an event where your crowd is arriving in waves because you've given them all different start times, that, that gives you a framework. Also, people still come up to me and say, I love the event safety guide. This is basically the update to the event safety guide. So please go ahead and seek it out, print it out, stick it in a binder, if you still have binders. <laughs> You're referring to paper? Um, and, and let me add one note, and this is something that we were talking about before we started recording this podcast. Even during this pandemic, again, I hate having to circle everything back to that, but even during this pandemic, events are going on. Um, so. Danielle was telling us about an event that had happened in South Carolina that yielded a shooting. Oh, for God's sake, we still have to deal with the you know, terrible things that happened before. Um, many of you podcast listeners may have seen 
that there was an event in the Dakotas over this past weekend in which we had another sighting of Jack Russell, the lead singer from the band Great White. He led a maskless, non-social distanced show. So even during this pandemic, we have crowds, probably shouldn't, but we do. And so they still have to be managed. And so this is not just guidance for the distant future, but even in some places for right now. Yeah, guidance for now, because despite the fact you'd be like, why are you at a nightclub concert during a pandemic where the active shooter happened? It still is happening. So, you know, we still are going to be planning some events in some circumstances and this guidance will help everyone with it. So Eric, I think we're coming to the end of this one. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with us from across the pond? I wanted to say, you know, looking through the guidance again, as, as I did this morning before we, we came online, it touches on a lot of things. Please don't read it and think it's giving you all the answers. Back to Steve's wise words. If you read this from scratch and you've never seen anything before about crowds, you will probably walk away with more questions in your head than you have answers. And if its purpose is to get you to know what the questions are to ask, then it achieves its purpose. You know, I've just had a quick flick through again. There's a weather action plan. But if you think you understand weather by reading one page of this standard, please don't think that's the case. Go and have a look at the complexities of the weather and the impact on your crowd. Every page on here will give you two, three, four, five more questions that you need to go away and ask them. And the, only, the last thing I would say, uh, if I may, is harking back to something that we said earlier, the person who writes the crowd management plan really needs to be there when the event takes place because they're the only person that understands their own thought processes. Unless you sit and write this as a team, which is fine, and work one of those or two of those people work as a team that night, there is a huge danger. The number of times we are asked as crowd managers to write a crowd management plan for an event that the organizer doesn't need us or doesn't want us to be there. He just wants a plan, or she wants a plan that they can produce to the authorities. That doesn't work. The person who authored it needs to be there to implement those changes that are necessary on the night or have at least a representative that understands those thought processes to go through that. So please don't read this and say, I now understand it. I can write a crowd management plan, give it to the authorities, but not be there when the event takes place. But finally, 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 a thank you to you guys for actually putting something together that I can use now as a lever over here to try to persuade others to join us and write something similar and get a pretty standard on crowd safety management. Well, kudos to you and kudos to Steve and the entire crowd management team. We want to thank Eric and everyone else for their participation. If you have any questions for us, please send us an email at info at eventsafetyalliance.org. Put podcasts in the subject line. And thank you, everybody. Stay safe.